so if you want to live a fulfilled life, part of that is wrestling with the hard questions in life, like what is your purpose? And if that feels too big right now, no problem, thin slice it. Like what's your purpose today? What's your purpose this week? everyone, Emily Abadi here bringing you episode 151 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about their big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. Today on the show for episode 151, I am chatting with performance psychologist, Dr. Michael Gervais. Now, Gervais, if you have not heard his name before, I would be maybe a little surprised. He has worked with some of the biggest names in sports, top athletes, actors, actresses, to help them learn how to navigate their mind. I've seen him speak so many times. I'm a huge fan of his podcast called Finding Mastery, and it was really fun for today's episode to get some insight into the man that helps everyone else perform better. Dr. Gervais talks to me about his upbringing and how surfing actually was what led him into getting more interested in the mind. He talks to me about the battles that he had with his own education, being pretty unenthusiastic about the whole thing in high school, just wanting to go out, wanting to surf. And it wasn't until college when he was starting to learn about subject areas that he was truly invested in, that he was ready to grab the reins and take advantage of his own learning. Oh my goodness, so many interesting topics. We talk about how to define your purpose. We talk about how to articulate your personal philosophy, how to handle these hurdles and why these hurdles, these difficult moments in our lives will be a good thing in the long term. And we also talk about the importance, especially right now after the year we've had, of having some grace with yourself and understanding that, yes, times are hard right now, but we can do hard things if we train the mind and develop a little bit of resiliency. Seriously, this conversation, it blew my mind. I was literally staring out of my apartment window for 20 to 30 minutes, just like absorbing after we were done recording. So I highly encourage you while you are listening to this, if you can have a notepad nearby, open your iPhone note app, take down some of this information because it has really been helping me ever since we recorded. And I know it's really gonna give you some necessary inspiration as well. Also, I'm so amped about this. Dr. Gervais and his team are super kind. We are partnering on a giveaway, which will go live on the Hurdle Instagram uh, the day this gets released on March 15th, 2021. He is giving two lucky listeners a spot in his Finding Your Best course. So think of this course as a masterclass for training your mind. He created the course with NFL head coach Pete Carroll, and in it, you'll learn how to craft your own personal philosophy, set a vision, 
and how to train your mind to be more confident, optimistic, calm, and mindful. So again, head on over to the Hurdle Instagram, that's at Hurdle Podcast, for more details on that. Such an awesome, awesome giveaway here. Before we get into it, I do want to give some love to my sponsor at Baron Fig. I woke up this morning and like most every morning, reached for my journal, sat in my bed, drank some warm coffee, just had like the most beautiful experience. And I'll tell you, writing in the right journal, it changes everything. For years, I was going back and forth between different notebooks. None of them laid flat. But for me, reaching for this Baron Fig journal, I love their confidant journal. It just feels more sophisticated. Maybe that sounds lame, but if you write in journals, you know what I'm getting at. And the best thing, if you are new to a journaling practice, they have a slew of guided editions that can walk you through everything from meditation and habit formation to organization and logging your best recipes. Literally, the brand has something for everyone. And a little bit of bonus here, they also are dedicated to leaving the earth better than they found it. For every single Confidant notebook sold, Baron Fig plants a tree with tens of thousands of trees planted and counting. Head on over to baronfig.com today and use code HURDLE20 at checkout to receive 20% off your first purchase of a guided edition journal. Again, that is baronfig.com, B-A-R-O-N-F-I-G.com. Use code HURDLE20 at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase of a guided edition journal. Baron Fig, do your best thinking. Again, make sure you are following Hurdle over at Hurdle Podcast on Instagram. I am over at Emily Abadi. And if you haven't done so yet, this would just mean the world to me. I'm cusping 2,000 newsletter subscribers, and I want you to be one of them. So click on over to the show notes, click on in to subscribe to the weekly Hurdle, and let me just pop into your inbox every Friday with a little bit of inspiration. With that, Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Michael Gervais. He is a high performance psychologist and also the host of the Finding Mastery podcast. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you for including me in uh, your community in this conversation. I'm so excited to do it. As a, a fitness and health journalist, for years now, some of my favorite writing to do has involved interviewing performance psychologists. So selfishly, I am geeked out about the opportunity to chat with you here today. But I also know just the wealth of knowledge you're going to bring to the hurdle community is, is something really special. Cool. Thank you. For sure. So I don't think that being a performance psychologist is probably one of those careers that as a young boy, you're like, you know what I'm going to do when I grow up? (laughs) I'm going to be a performance psychologist. So as I always like to do on the show, kick me off with talking to me a little bit about your upbringing. When I was young, there was no such industry as sport and performance psychology. So I grew up um, for the first handful of years in a remote town in Virginia no streetlights, dirt roads, gravel was a luxury on the roads. And so we're way back. My parents kind of dropped out, if you will, and, uh, and wanted to build their, their family on a farm. And I, it's, this was not a luxury farm. This is like running water was the luxury. 
And um, so at a young age, like the things that I was thinking about is um, I had to be home by dark because um, Mother Nature was a whole different animal at night. And this is like at age eight and nine. And so I was I learned so much from the roots of being connected with nature as a young kid. And then I think my dad said, enough of this. And he came to California when I was, um, let's call it fourth grade, and came to California and said, okay, let's do uh, something a little bit more sophisticated. <laughs> and so not that there's anything wrong with dropping out and you know building a life on a farm. And so he got a corporate job, if you will, in sales. Um, I was thrusted into the city life and um, I didn't quite fit in with traditional stick and ball sports. And so, um, again, I was like, okay, well, what is the thing that I'm more interested in? Cause I came from this natural world and mother nature and all that stuff. And so I was naturally attracting, attracted to action sports. And so action sports in California are like surfing, skateboarding, motocross, BMX, like that stuff where there's some connection to mother nature, but the real deeper connection was there wasn't a set of arbitrary rules and artificial coaching and it just was pure because if you made a mistake, you'd leave a little skin on the asphalt. If you made a mistake, you get held under, you know, a wave longer than, you know, you thought you could do. And so there's a real tolerance for risk taking slash um, material consequences when you make a mistake. And there wasn't these adults hovering over, you know, yelling and shouting. And I thought as a kid, like, this is weird. This is really bizarre. And so what ended up bringing me to sports psychology, though, was uh, in surfing, there's two types of surfing. There's free surfing and competitive surfing. And free surfing is like what you do with, um, you know, we, I say this in a, in a gender biased way because we didn't, I didn't know any females that were surfing, but what you do with the boys. And um, in free surfing, I could do it. I could get it done. And it was awesome. No one's looking. You just kind of go into the scariest part of the heaviest part of a wave and you don't tell anyone about it you experience it but then come competition when there's people on the beach and there's judges and family and friends and there's people scoring and critiquing i was a disaster so i didn't have the psychology to take what i could do into a moment that became too big for me which was a competition and that's where a competitor said to me one day Hey, Gervais, I surf with you every day. He was older than me. I surf with you every day. You should be mopping up everybody out here. But um, you got to stop thinking about what could go wrong. I thought, how does he know? How does he know what's in my head? <laughs> you know, that's all I'm thinking about, all the things that could go wrong. And then he paddled off. You know, he beat me in that heat because now he's in my head. Um, but what I figured out was that I could use my mind. I could, I could, there's a way that I could use my mind to help me do what I wanted to do. And I wasn't. And so I didn't, I didn't know what psychology was as, as 15 years old. I didn't know what it was. And long story getting a little bit shorter here is that um, I fell in love when I got to college, eventually got to college. That's a whole different story. But I fell in love with the world of the invisible. And I didn't know anybody in my family that went to college. I certainly didn't know anyone that had a PhD. And so what accidentally happened is three professors, and I love bringing up their names if you allow me. Please. 
Dr. Zenka, Dr. Perkins, and Dr. Cusio, a, a philosopher, a theologian, and a psychologist. And they were best friends. Great last names. I know, so good. Zenka and Cusio and Perkins. So they they were best buds and um, they saw me coming like this, you know, full of energy, but clueless kid that had no real direction. And all he wanted to do was uh, break rules and be counterculture and um, quote unquote, get after it in life. I didn't know what that really meant, but they saw that coming and they said, hey, listen, uh, let me introduce you to this beautiful world of the invisible. And it lit me on fire and set me down this path that I just wanted to learn more and more and more and more. And that's kind of how it happened. Talk to me about the reference to eventually getting to college. Uh, high school was an adventure. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I had a lot of fun. I didn't take school seriously. I was in the water um, a lot, uh, surfing. And, you know, I got, it was my senior year in high school. My parents pulled me aside and it was a, you know, Southern California, beautiful sunny day. And um, my mom says, hey, we tried because they didn't go to college, you know, but hey, we tried and um, you got a zero on your PSAT. You got a zero on your SAT. And it's because I, I ditched them. I went surfing. And they said, you've got a choice to make now. Either you got to get a job and get out, or um, you can go to community college and you can stay here. And I was like, community college? Well, hold wait, these are bad choices. I'm not ready to kind of go become self-sufficient. I'm not ready for that. But I know how to actually go to school, play the game a little bit and keep surfing. So let me just do that. And that's accidentally how I got into college. And uh, it was never part of the design. And so... I mean, I'll spare some of the details, but college uh, high, college was meaningful. High school was fun. Got it. Okay. So when your learning starts to get meaningful, talk to me about kind of the switch of gears that must happen in your head. Because as someone, again, high school was fun. I can't imagine that until you really started to think to yourself like, wow, I'm actually really interested in this material. And understand that you could do something with that material. Did that experience become something that to you felt worthwhile? Well, it, right. You know, if you look at pop psychology, you'll read things or hear about things like you got to have a vision in your life. And I will talk about the science and the art of vision because there's some important stuff there. And you got to have big goals and audacious, whatever. I, I don't know. I, I, I know the science there, but that was not true for me. What was true for me is that I was in conversation and reading things that were illuminating. And I never thought that if I read this book later one day, maybe I wanted to read this book and understand it so I could run back and have a conversation with somebody who really understood it, the professor or the other kids in the class that were trying to wrestle with it because it, it, it lit me up. And so it was never for later. It was for the purity of it. And that's actually what action sports will teach you is that if you're not completely absorbed and present here now, the consequences are too great. So like be about it. And then uh, let me pull back one more layer. I think, I think this is materially important in where we might go in this conversation um, is that when I would walk from school to home and we lived next to the ocean, I would walk. I've never talked to anyone about this, but I would walk down the street and I'd look at a hedge. And as I'm walking, I'm looking at the hedge, like how I'm going to surf off that hedge as if it was a real wave. I was obsessed with trying to get better. 
to ready myself for the next challenge. Because the next challenge, if I really push myself, could be dangerous. And um, and so the same was true in in um, in school. I was readying myself to understand it better, but not for later. Really, it was because I loved what the way it felt to get better. And so um, so, anyways, uh, that's kind of the obsession that sometimes. I think is required that I don't wish really on people um, to explore their potential. There, there's a, there's a dark side that we, we could maybe benefit talking about. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the art of visioning and like thinking about what it is that you want. And obviously for your example of like looking at the hedge and focusing on the hedge and thinking about what could happen if you had to surf on the hedge, you know, I think a lot of people. Sorry, I was seeing the hedge as if it was a wave. So it was a way to do like imagery, like using that as a placeholder for a big wave. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. It's fine. I, I yeah. appreciate the I appreciate the explanation. So let's talk a little bit about that concept of visioning and of thinking about or picturing where it is that you think you could go or what you would do. For so many people, they can think those things. But then, as I'm sure you've experienced in your work and in your conversations, there can be a large disconnect between thinking about it and then actually like thinking about how you can make that thing that you're thinking about happen. Right on. And I, I just want to, I want to remind people. So I've studied, you know, um, to the edges of psychology and the psychology of excellence, like how the extraordinaries work from a rigor of research and academic, you know, uh, training, as well as being in the amphitheater, um, in, in some of the most extraordinary, you know, organizations. And I'm, I'd love to tell some of those stories, but, but I just want to remind or to kind of level set that, I don't know, I think people are, um, struggling in life right now. I know that to be true. And just because you don't know exactly what you want your future to be right now, it's okay. I never did. And I love my life, like materially love my life. And I never thought that I didn't even know there was an industry that I'm in right now. And so I just want to kind of help build some space to say, you know, right now is hard and we can thin slice your vision of the man, woman, person you want to be, thin slice it to like today or this week or this month or this quarter, you know, like we can thin slice it because I think it starts to really freak people out when we say, well, what is your life purpose? And now that's a big question. I ask that to just about everybody, but I, I want to do it in a way that is respectful to, I'm trying to keep my head above water, dude. You know, like, right, let's start there. Let's thin slice. What's your purpose today? I love that terminology, thin slice. Yeah. Oh, it's everything we can do right now, you know, because of the radical change that's taking place. Unless, unless you have conditioned and trained your mind to manage uncertainty, to manage unknown. And I think what 2020 has shown us, unpleasantly so, is that, let's just talk about North America for a minute. We are not prepared to deal with both chronic stress and acute stress. Before 2020, we're barely keeping it together because the chronic stress was real. And the thing, the idea about hustle hard, are you kidding me? That is not how this works. Hustle hard, I'm sorry if you kind of ascribe to it, 
but it's so broken because in, in the world stage, we don't talk about working hard. We're talking about recovering intelligently. Everybody works hard. So if you've got to tell someone to work hard, there's a flaw somewhere. It's like a, some, something else that I can talk about from a psychological perspective, but it's recovering intelligently. It's training your mind so that when you are in the thick of stuff, you know how to use the right amount of attentional focus to get the thing done and no more, no less. And to get to the edges every day of your capacity is how you make you. And if you're fatigued and tired and scared, you don't run to the edges. But the best in the world, athletes, enter entertainers, executives, like they run to the edge every day and intelligently recover. Run to the edge again, figure out what they need to learn, and then recover. And so we talk more about recovery than we do about you know working hard. How does that all relate to purpose? 2020 showed us that we are not properly trained. Our mind is not properly trained. And um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that with you. Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear more about that. I think for someone listening to this, their first follow-up question and my first follow-up question would be, how do I start training? Aside from, of course, as we all have over the past year, like kind of being thrown into the waters, right? Yeah. So let's just pull back the curtain one more level here is that there's two ways to think about psychology. Okay. So the psychology of excellence, certainly. One is the path of self-discovery. Okay. And then the second are the mental skills so that you can be about it more often. So the first things is like a series of practices and I can walk you through all of them. It's not complicated, but like, who are you? What is your purpose? What are the goals that are going to help you live uh, aligned to that purpose? Back to the vision word, like what does it look and feel like when it's all on point? And so there's a whole path of self-discovery. And I'll pin that for just a moment because Harvard did a 75-year study, a longitudinal um, study across people's life. And they wanted to understand fulfillment. So they measured these people for 75 years. And at the end, they said, were you fulfilled? And whatever percentage said yes, and the other percentage said no. Then the people that said yes, they asked them, so you report that you had a fulfilled life. How does that happen? And one of the key takeaways, there was three big ones, but one of the key takeaways is that they wrestled with the deep questions of life. So if you want to live a fulfilled life, part of that is wrestling with the hard questions in life, like, what is your purpose? And back to our early part, if that feels too big right now, no problem, thin slice it. Like, what's your purpose today? <laughs> you know, what's your purpose this week? Well, that's exactly what I was going to say here is that I think for a lot of people, that kind of question, what is your purpose? It's like, whoa, I don't even know where to start or, or how to articulate that. So do you have, you know, any words of wisdom of how to thin slice a question like that? Yeah. According to science, there's three parts to, um, to purpose. So research suggests that people that wrestle with purpose and can articulate it, there's three main themes. The first is nobody can give you yours. It has to matter to you. And so it's, per it's called personal meaning. So that's the responsibility, I think, to be an adult. What is my purpose in life? And if it doesn't matter to you, it's not real. Again, nobody can give it to you, okay? So that's one. The second is... Um, it's bigger than you. So true purpose, these people that are fulfilled and have purpose in their life, it's something grander than themselves. So it's not the purpose of like getting paid. It's maybe getting paid for 
because I can or we can. But there's something larger than one's own needs being taken care of. And then the third is it's future oriented. So there, there's a the down the path type of thinking about purpose, right? For life purpose. So it's bigger than bigger than you and it requires time to materially um, move toward. So those are three components. And, and how do you do it? You write it down. There's three ways, a couple threes here back to back, but there's three ways, right? Write some stuff down, speak to people that have wisdom, uh, you know, that, that are in your community, whether it's a psychologist or, you know, a, a preacher or a rabbi or whatever it might be. And then the third is to investigate in a practice of mindfulness where you're really listening and, and understanding the, your inner nature, like the thoughts and how they relate to your emotions. And when you wrestle with ideas, what happens internally? So those are the three, meditation, um, conversations with wisdom, and then uh, writing to be true. What is your purpose? Oh, I haven't done. No, I'm joking. It's been a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> Can you even imagine? Yeah. Oh my God, I, can't, I shouldn't answer. That. Yeah. So um, I'll say that it changed um, about ten years ago, and so I can tell you my first one. But then it's changed. It's very clear for the last ten years. It's to help people live in the present moment more often. And the reason that is, I light up when I even say it and think about it. Thank you for asking. Is because the present moment is where wisdom is revealed. It is where high performance is expressed. So there's like, that's the world I'm in. So the present moment is where wisdom is revealed, high performance is expressed, and all things that are true, beautiful, good, and amazing are experienced. And so the present moment is where we meet ourselves. And so if I can help people by training their mind, live in the present moment more often, I think that we begin to reimagine humanity. We get to reimagine what it means to be fully alive, working towards the capacity of our collective potential. And that's not going to happen unless we spend more time in the present. But we're so busy worrying about later and worrying about what had happened that we're missing even glimpses of the present moment throughout the day because we're busy, 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 hustle, 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 that we're not dropped in to meet the demands of this moment in a square, sh squared up shouldered way because it takes everything that you have to meet the demands of moments because our mind wants to check out to try to solve danger as opposed to be fluid with the risk that is unfolding right now. And that risk for you and me is neither of us know what's about to happen. And so if we can trust enough by training our minds, if we can trust enough that we can meet the new demand, then we can kind of go, oh, let me enjoy this life, this unfolding moment to moment life. For those that have a problem managing the chaos, for those that are in a similar circumstance or, or find themselves in this circumstance where they can't focus on the now because they have so much anxiety or worry about what is next, how do you advise that they get to this place where they're better equipped to handle the now? That's where mental training comes in. And so what you're describing is like there's ranges, you know, clinical anxiety to excessive worry to something smaller than that, which would be, um, uh, you know, like I, I kind of worry about things or my mind is a little easily distracted. So depending on where somebody is on a spectrum that we would suggest, you know, heavy lifting or light lifting, but the lifting is going to be um, mindfulness will be part of the lifting. Breathing training will be another part of the lift. 
um, awareness of your inner dialogue so that you can adjust and come return back to now is the essence of or one of the cornerstones of mindfulness. So you become aware of your inner life, your thoughts and emotions, and so that you can pivot and come back to now. Come back again and come back again. And I, we can double click on that for sure. And then the other is some sort of breathing mechanism or breathing training so that when your body activates, because your brain's job is to scan the world and find the dangers. That's its job. And if you don't use your mind to work with the brain, again, the brain's job but the, is to scan the world to find danger and to either fight or run away. But the mind's job is to be the software that is governing and guiding that brain's dictum for survival primarily. And I'm oversimplifying a very beautiful uh, hand and glove interaction between software hardware that is so complicated, we struggle with analogies you know, of how it really works. And, but the mind can be, um, it's a software that can be upgraded. And, you know, I mean, who trains your mind uh, out of curiosity? Who trains my mind? Who, who trained your mind? Because you're operating at a certain, with a certain system. You've got a, what version would you say you are of yourself? If I had to take a step back and really think about it, and it's interesting to me to hear you say that, uh, the spectrum, because I certainly used to be a person who didn't navigate frequent anxiety very well. And I have found, especially over the past year, that through defining my purpose, integrating more mindfulness into my regular routine, doing more meditation and breath work, I have been able to tap in to an ability that the old Emily, and I'm not exactly sure if I can give you what level we're on now, but an older version of myself certainly didn't even think was possible for her. Now, does that mean that I feel as though I never feel like her sometimes? Of course not. But it does mean that now I've seen the other side of the coin, so to speak, and I feel more empowered to come back to calm in circumstances that before I didn't think was possible. Yeah, that's it now. So that's let's call that an upgrade. You know, it could be a minor upgrade or a major upgrade to be determined. But to get to the upgrades, we do it does require some programming. And I'm overusing the analogy right now, but mental training is the way that you can upgrade the software. So confidence is a skill. How about that? You know, I, I would I'd bet quite a bit of money that unless you went out and looked for it, nobody has taught you how to train your mind. Like it didn't happen in grade school or high school or college. So we have to go to a shrink. Coaches really don't know. You know, I, I love coaches. It's a world I live in, but they say, hey, come on, you should be confident. Like, well, show me how, you know, like my whole <laughs> life, show me how. So it's a trainable skill. Um, did, did anybody show you the mechanics of confidence? Have you been no, trained? Not yeah, specifically. Yeah. We'll talk, we can talk about that some other time. Well, wait, what do you, what do you I'm mean joking. by that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how do you train it? So it comes from only one place, which is what you say to yourself, but what you say to yourself must be credible. And so to, to speak credibly to yourself about yourself relative to what you think you, the demands are that are coming. So confidence is a state specific uh, experience. So it's moment to moment, really. 
And if you have the inner mechanisms to speak to yourself a certain way about your skills relative to the perceived demand, you're going to figure it out. But to speak to yourself in a way that has credibility, you have to have done really hard things in your life. And so what happens for most people is when they feel a bit anxious, so their heart uh, ticks up a little bit, their breathing changes, they start to see the dangers in the world, is instantly the mind, the software goes to, oh, well, this is big. Feel me like I'm, I'm over, um, I'm, my cup is spilling over, like I'm kind of a mess. As opposed to instantly going to like, oh, wait, I'm built for hard things. I've done A and B and C and look, I can do A. I think I can do B and I'm definitely going to knock down C. But that's training. Training, you know, to know in your history what gives you the right to say something like I can do hard things. So how do you do it? You got to write it down. And you got to practice, you know, just like it, it, it sounds mechanical, Emily, but it's sets and reps. You know, and I, I think behind you, you've got like times. Those times. Yeah, behind me, I've got some some marathon time posters. Okay, who whose are they? <laughs> They're mine. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, good. So, so you know what sets and reps are about, you know? And like, there's no way to really get better without true sets and reps. And so training your mind to know the types of thinking that is credible, that will help you, is how you get to the ability to be consistent with confidence. Not arrogant not naive confidence like boastful confidence but true grounded like no i know how to re- i know how to relate to the challenge ahead Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsor at Green Chef. Now, Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company. You can enjoy clean ingredients you can trust, seasonally sourced for peak freshness that come pre-measured perfectly portioned, and mostly prepared. Say that three times fast. This way, you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. I have been there. The days they get away from you, you want to eat well at the end of your workday. You want to have a good dinner, but you just don't know where to start sometimes. Green Chef makes it easy. Plus, they have different types of meals for every diet, whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, Or again, just looking to eat healthier. There is a range of recipes to suit any diet preference. My recent favorite, Southwestern Zucchini Fritters. Oh my God. Flavor explosion. You have got to get in on the Green Chef action ASAP. Head on over to greenchef.com slash 90hurdle and use code 90hurdle to get $90 off, including free shipping. Head on over to greenchef.com. That's G-R-E-E-N chef dot com slash nine zero hurdle and use code ninety hurdle to get ninety dollars off, including free shipping today. Next up, huge shout out to my sponsor at Element. That's L M N T. Element makes a science backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. I 
cannot get enough of their orange salt. I have been leaning into it heavily lately as I'm getting back on the indoor bike trainer, laughably close enough to when the temperatures are finally heating up to get back outside. The formula is super high caliber. It is plant-based with no sugar, fillers, gluten, or sketchy ingredients, and it just tastes great. It gives me the Goldilocks amount of electrolytes to perform my best, fuel smart, and recover better. They have an awesome, awesome deal for all of you. I know that sometimes you hear these things on podcasts, you see these advertisements on your Instagram, and you just want to try it for yourself. Well, good news. That's exactly what you can do. Element is offering Hurdle listeners a free sample pack for just $5 shipping. Head on over to drinkelement.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash Hurdle to get yours today. Again, that is a free Element sample pack. Absolutely free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. Head on over to drinkelement.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash Hurdle to get yours today. Trust me, you won't regret it. Talk to me about the evolution of your confidence going through college, getting to a point where you were getting more interested in your studies and coming to a place where you started to recognize, hey, I think I could be good at life doing something with this material that I'm learning about. Well, I didn't understand confidence when I was in high school. That's kind of what happened to me in surfing is that I was a mess because I didn't know how to speak to myself properly. That would build. And I'll just oversimplify. There's there's really an oversimplification. There's two types of thoughts. Thoughts that create space and build and thoughts that constrict and tighten up. You know, oversimplifying. But... So I didn't even understand that basic framework. And so I left my inner experience to what other people might be thinking of me. How dangerous is that? So fear of other people's opinions, call it FOPO. You've heard of YOLO and FOMO, right? So FOPO, I think, is the great constrictor of human potential in modern times. Fearing other people's opinions. So that's what I was leaving my internal state to, what others might think of me. And so when did that change? When I got sick and tired of being um, at the whip's end of my environment, when I was fatigued as a man saying, why do I feel this way? (laughs) I'm, I'm trying to present myself a certain way, but really inside it doesn't really match. And so this was like early 30s for me. And... And I said, I, I'm done with that. Like, what is, what, there's, and I was studying it. You know, I, I was just finishing up my PhD. And there was a moment when um, I hadn't yet graduated. There was an international conference that I was speaking at. And it was my first international conference. And I was kind of changing or challenging uh, grounded theory in the field. And you could see and feel, I was backstage with a friend of mine and, and the uh, dean of our, my school. And you could feel the energy kind of filling up the hall and you could hear the, you know, the there's multiple hundreds, maybe thousands. I, I don't know. It's a little foggy to me now, but it was, it was a large room and I was feeling good. Like I was feeling really good and I've got my suit on. It's like the first time I had a suit other than a wedding or a funeral or something. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm zero professionalism. I printed business cards just for this thing. 
and <laughs> um, and so I'm ready. I'm feeling great about going up there. And it's about five minutes before, and my buddy nudges me backstage, and he goes, "Hey, look in the front row." So I kind of peek me through through the corner, and I look, and there's a gentleman, and I go, "Oh my, is that him?" The person I was challenging the theory. And I looked at my buddy and my eyes got big and he goes, yup. And I look back and he grew like to nine feet tall, you know, 550 pounds. Like he just looked like he was this massive human that was pissed off. Okay. So it was not really, but you know what I mean? So I instantly went into a state of panic. And so here's the dialogue. Oh God, they're going to find out. Everyone here is going to find out that I don't, I'm bullshitting. I don't. Oh God, they're going to find out. And so, you know, imposter syndrome, full effect. Not like objectively, I did, I really do know, I knew my stuff. This is no different than when I was 15. And now I'm 30 something and it's like, or just, just before 30. And so I started to hit the panic button. My body temperature heated up. There's a bead of sweat down my back. My forehead started to kind of blister with some sweat. I've got a little tremor now. My breathing's changing. My heart's ticking up. I look down at my business card and I'm trying to keep it cool. I look down at my business card and I realize that I didn't put my email address on it. This is like, you know, 20 years ago. And, I, and, and, and I'm like, again, I use that to go, oh God, I'm such a rookie. And I'm, now I'm trying to write my business, my, my email on the back of my bit and my hand shaking. And I'm looking at the card and my, my visual spatial is all wrong. So I'm like writing down the side of the card, trying to fit it all in. And it, these are all things that I'm using to, to tighten up further. And so I realized, and so here's the other narrative, like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be talking about like being present and confidence and, and I'm a mess, you know? So it's all that stuff that's wrapped up. If I can't even talk about it or live it, like what a phony. And so, so I realized at that moment, there's no way around it. You got to go through it. You got to do the fundamental work. And I thought I was doing it, but I was bullshitting myself. And so that moment changed me. And so thank you for telling that story. It's a long story, but um, it changed me. And well, what so, happened? I mean, did you go on the stage? Yeah. Um, so imagine a scale of one to 10. 10 is like, I just threw up in my mouth. And a five is the sweet spot. You know, we're really like the porridge is just right. It's not too hot, too cold. And I was at like a nine and a half just right before it. And funny thing is, is as I was writing... Um, I'm trying to play it cool because I don't, I didn't want my buddy to think I was a mess, you know, um, even though that's what friends are for, <laughs> you know, like, but he was, you know, he, he was loving that I was kind of like freaking out a little bit because he could kind of tell. And I started when I was writing my, my address, I just was focusing on getting my, um, my name squared up. So it required a deep focus. And so I was just getting that right, trying to have a clear kind of penmanship on it. And that actually materially was gating out all of the danger. It was gating out all of the anxiety, all the worry, all the shitty self-talk. And so it was just a deep focus that I was on. And I'm trying to breathe the whole time. And then it started clicking. So probably like 40 seconds to go, 30 seconds to go, my buddy no notices that I'm still writing my, on my cards. And he nudges me again. He's like, dude, you get, get ready now. And I kind of came back and I was like, oh. I'm back. Like that, all that other stuff went away. I didn't have a great mind, but I was, I was in a frame that I could manage at that point. And so, um, it was, it was good. It was a good experience for me. More importantly, other than what I said, what I learned, 
backstage was more important than what I did on stage. And it was fine on stage. It, it, it was fine. So um, well, thank you. <laughs> so then share with me how you go from this pivotal moment for you and understanding the importance of going through something to getting to the place where, as you referenced before, you're in the amphitheater. Talk mm -hmm. to me about that transition in your life. Well, I think, I think the segue in there is that, and I've been fortunate to work now in some of the most hostile environments known to humans, um, certainly rugged environments like the last 10 years with the Seattle Seahawks, but um, that's rugged. There's some pressure in those environments, but some of the other places like the stuff, Red Bull Stratos and a project called Heaven Sent. Red Bull Stratos is when Felix Baumgartner jumped from about 130,000 feet. The brightest minds in aerospace weren't sure if he was going to make it. It was an incredibly dangerous and wonderful um, project that I was on. So how do you go from those environments? I think the segue that makes sense is that I needed to do the work. And just like um, we physically prepare with sets and reps so that we can express ourselves creatively on the playing field, whether that's the boardroom or it's the field or it's the living room, you know, when there's a moment that's got some stress on it, like, can we use our faculties to express ourselves at towards our upper capability that I needed to put in the reps, not only physically, but mentally. And so you know, the mental stuff is meditation, it's breathing work, it's clarity of purpose, it is um, training deep focus, it is a framework of optimism, which is a trainable skill. All of that builds the ability to be more resilient, to deal with the real challenges that come if you want to do something special with your own capabilities. There's going to be real challenges. Karch Karai is one of the the best to ever play the game of volleyball and coach it. And so multiple gold medals, Olympics, world championships, uh, indoor, beach, you name it, he is a legend. And as I was working with the U.S. women's national team going into Rio for the last Olympic Games, and he said he was the coach, and he says, Mike, I'm certain that no one gets to the podium at the Olympic Games without passing through a double-barrel shotgun while at the Games. So let's prepare our team to know how to stand down a double barrel shotgun. That's rad. So that's training the mind. You referenced the uh, US Women's National Team. You referenced the Seahawks. Talk to me about the first time that you recall perhaps getting that phone call or making your way into a scenario where you were working with someone that you yourself had previously heard of or someone of of such uh what's the word I want to use here uh esteem or a well-known individual that kind of scared you a little bit that's a cool thought um I think that I'll tell you a funny story I was nine years old well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's not where I'll, I expected this one to start <laughs> I'll, and I'll let you be the judge of funny. You know, I think it's funny. But it, it was nine years old. And I'm kind of the hillbilly that I was in Virginia. And there was this event where the kicker for the Redskins was going to do a talk at the local high school. And my dad's like, hey, let's go. And I was like, for what? And so we went and we talked. And Mark Mosley was the kicker's name. 
And um, there was a big lineup afterwards of all the kids signing, getting their uh, cards signed. And it was, I don't know, like, I, and my dad's like, let's get in line. Let's do that. And I was like, no, I, like, I'd rather go home. I had no interest. I don't, I still to this day am more interested in the human than what they've done. So to, to, to answer your question, honestly, it'll, it almost will sound blasphemous because I so enjoy the people I work with, but I don't lead with like, look what they've done. Oh my gosh. Because I do know that they have the same worries. They breathe the same air. They have the same basic dreams for their kids. Um, and I'm more interested in the human experience rather than the performative part of them. So I, maybe that's a blessing, you know, like I don't, I don't go to that place. And, uh, I think that, I think that that's probably felt by other people. Not to say that it's not felt, (laughs) but to say, and maybe, um, like to allow me to brag on you for a moment, I've had Carrie Walsh Jennings on the show. Obviously, again, you mentioned, you mentioned working with the volleyball team. And I know just from seeing you speak everywhere from, uh, the Under Armour Performance Summit, uh, to, oh my goodness, I just feel like a handful of times now um, and hearing about the clientele that you've worked with that you have an impressive roster. And I think mm-hmm. that something is to be said, uh, not just, of course, uh, by the fact that you've been able to work with these individuals, but about the fact that you're so, I would argue, good at what you do, that you have become an important tool in the toolbox for so many high performing individuals that many people listening to this show would know who they are. Oh yeah. Well, first, thank you for the compliment. Um, (laughs) and then I also appreciate you calling me a tool. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I'm a tool in the tool. Yeah. <laughs> Never have I ever called a guest a tool before. Yeah, that's good. It's perfect. I, I I absolutely love all of it. And 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 you know, like I and I am because I am part of like the 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 support mechanism for the for the people in the amphitheater. And so, okay, so the, the not being uh, too far from the joke here is that, yeah, I've been fortunate, and I think part of where what I represent with people is that there's far more to go. And I'm less interested in human, the doing than the being. And what I've come to learn is that the most extraordinaries across multiple disciplines. And, you know, I was, uh, this, I, you know, I've got a small team, my business, we have a small team and we get fined if we name drop. Okay. So like, it's like, you know, it's, it's a fun joke. Like if someone's going to try to big time and, and say like, oh, well, you know, I had a conversation with fill in the blanks, like everyone rallies, like, oh, okay, you're getting fine. Like, <laughs> none of that nonsense, you know? So, so I, I, th- this was, but this is cool because this person, when they announce that they're going to go on tour, uh, they'll sell, sell out across the planet in 15 minutes. And so he says, I am far more interested in being than doing. And so being more to do more is where this idea was born from. So I think you and I and many of us swallowed at a young age this idea that we need to do the extraordinary to be extraordinary. And I certainly did. I can't speak for you. And so I had to undo that first to say, no, I need to be me. I need to be grounded, be present, be creative, be authentic, and then let the doing flow from that place. And it's almost like the lid opens up in this magical way. And so... 
I think that that's why, because I, I, I really don't give a shit what they've done. I'm more interested in who they are and who they want to become. And so uh, there's a little bit of a breath of fresh air because you've been to a party when someone's kind of like, oh, what do you do? And I just want to go, what the fuck are we doing here? You know, and then they look over <laughs> and they're looking over my shoulder once they're like, oh, you know, you're a sports psychologist. Oh, great. Well, where's the, you know, oh, yeah. Well, looking over the shoulder, like, where's the star? You know, I'm like, see, I see what you're doing. And so, anyways. <laughs> You know, but what I will say and call out here is I know that we were connected uh, through the Hyperice team and uh, to be a part of their performance advisors group, that's got to be a cool opportunity. Uh, yeah. And so Hyperice is um, it's a disruptive company. And so they their products, their their technology compression vibration products are in just about every locker room I've ever been in. I don't, do you use them? I do. I, I have everything from a, a hypervolt to my left to uh Norma tech boots to my right. So I've oh, got yeah. a little I mean, bit of everything in this apartment and I think an, a hyper ice compression sleeve and some, some uh, ice in my freezer. <laughs> yeah, so you're like me for sure. And so they're really disruptive and the reason they're in every locker room, just about every locker room I've been in, is they're not just for athletes, though. But the reason they're there is because recovery is a big part of the game. So this balance between stress recovery, stress recovery, and trying to get that thing right is materially important. That's why on the world stage, we talk about recovery so much. And this is a tool to prime for movement and to recover well from movement. And if like I don't move the way I used to, you know, like I'm not doing big events and such, um, but I'm sitting too much. So I've got my compression and my, and my, um, uh, hypervolt. I'm using it every day, losing my hips, hamstrings, low back, um, glutes. And so I, I don't know what I would do without it. Honestly, it sounds cheesy. And I love that I get to work with them <laughs> because they're disruptive and they're, they get after it and they're credible. And those are the folks and companies I, I love to work with. You mentioned that that example of, of being at the party and the people like looking around you and being like, hmm, what's, what's going on here? Obviously, now people know of you, perhaps they see a performance psychologist. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Oh, that's cool. What a cool question. Um, I... Um, there's so many jokes that I'll keep them all to myself right now. Um, I will say that when I look, I am, um, I'm surprised by, um, the places this body has been, but I feel completely, um, familiar with the spirit inside. So like it feels at home when I look at myself, like I, I am at peace with, the 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 inner workings of who i am and i'm but i'm like when i look at the shell i'm like man you've been to some places so i i just don't i never thought about the places and the environments that i've been in that that would take place and so there's a sense of peace about the um that is the residue if you will of living with integrity and i know that i'm talking about me living with integrity which is a weird thing to say but um like i've been like it's a good example i don't have a friend that cheats on their wife and so I've been married uh, since I was 25, so almost like 20, let's see, I'm 49 now. So whatever the math is on that, uh, almost 25 24. years. 
Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and so like, I love that I've been completely faithful and like, I don't, you know, like doing the right thing is, um, so important to me. So like those, you know, I, I, my parents did a good job in, of creating a good, strong moral foundation. And then, um, I love that I built the mental skills and um, listen, I'm not perfect, but I love that I'm building mental skills to be able to deal with uh, high stress environments, you know? And so I don't know. That's a long way. I've never really answered that. Uh, so it's a good <laughs> question. Thank you for that. Of course. I, I mean, the, your explanation a little bit reminds me of something that Angela Manuel Davis said to me that she hopes to live in purpose on purpose. So when she looks in the mirror, that is what she sees. She sees a woman who is truly living her purpose very intentionally. Mm, that's what's up. That's really cool. That's what's up. That's what's up. What excites you right now, Dr. Gervais? Well, we got formal. I think that um, the decade of the mind, 2020 rattled us. And so this next decade is going to be about the mind because where we've just been, we realized that we didn't have the capabilities, the psychological capabilities to deal with such high stress change. And so this next decade will be about the mind. And I'm incredibly excited about where technology is going to meet ancient wisdom. That is, we were having the extraordinaries raise their hands to say, uh, the mind matters. You know, everyone from the folks that you mentioned to so many others are raising their hands saying, invest in your inner life. and. Uh, so this next decade of the mind is going to be radical. And I'm super excited. I'm bullish on human flourishing. I think that through relationships with ourselves, then with others, and with Mother Nature, we are um, going to reimagine what it means to be human. And so this next decade of the mind is what excites me. Right now, if I was to give you an opportunity to double click on something that maybe you would have double clicked on a little bit sooner in our conversation. And you think about something that could be really beneficial to shed some light on where does your mind go with that? Like for a skill or a tool for, mm -hmm. for folks like where we double click. Yeah. yeah I would think um, that one of the great bits of work as a human, you know, philosophy, I'm sorry, purpose we did. Let me hit on philosophy because we haven't talked about it. And so having a philosophy is really a clarity of your guiding principles. So what are the principles that guide your thoughts, your words, and your actions? And that bit of work, that's, it's substantial. And so I would, I would like to kind of double click to use your language on um, writing down your core philosophy your guiding principles, maybe it takes 10 pages at first, and then you whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down to get to something that's like 12 words or less. What is the, what are the principles that are going to guide your thoughts, words, and actions? So that when you run to the thin herd, the edge of the, 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 the frontier, and when you're running in that high stress space, that you're able to have clarity ahead of time. This is how I'm going to guide my thoughts, words, and actions. And that kind of pre-work, I think, is pays dividends. So along with purpose, philosophy is um, equally as important. But then maybe that feels heavy and big. And Emily, I'd say that a practice of long exhales would be, yeah, it would be something um, more thin sliced, more manageable. 
but you can't r really do like a little band-aid thing with long exhales if your, your mind's constantly worrying about the future and you don't know your purpose, fill in the blank. So, but a practice of long exhales to oversimplify the science of breathing does send signals to our brain that right now we're okay. And if you think about like, there's four parts to every breath, that maybe what we would do is we would say, start with a cadence, something like six in, six hold, 12 out, six hold. And something like that will materially make a difference across people's ability to downregulate. And stress is an upregulator, but I need practices to help downregulate. And doing 10 of those in a row as a training wheels, you know, six, six, 12, six, 10 times would be a nice little thin slice practice. You say philosophy and for a listener that hears that and they hear you explain it and they start to get their wheels turning and they're not exactly sure still how to go about creating that philosophy, what else would you tell them? Well, maybe perhaps if you could provide an example. Sure. Well, okay, that's great. We'll do both. Yeah. What is, let's do Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You know, what would you say his philosophy is? Equality. Ah, period. Right? So everywhere he went, his thoughts, his words, and his actions were about moving the narrative of equality. So that's a philosophy. And then his life purpose was, he called it a dream, but his life purpose was to see that in a certain form. But his philosophy was really about, listen, my thoughts and words and actions need to be lined up about helping people um, you know, live with equality. And so we can go down the list of some of the greats that, you know, Muhammad, Jesus, Buddha, Confucius, like we know their philosophies and because that's how they showed up everywhere they went. And so the same is available for you and me to do that work. Um, and so how do you do it? This is going to sound like a cheesy plug, but I know we're up on time. I, I built an eight week online course to help people do all of this work, to pull back the curtain, to show people exactly how I work with elite athletes and executives and artists on how they can train, how they train their mind so you can do the same. And so, um, but there's no shortcuts and I'm not going to hold anything back, but to do the work sometimes takes cadence and timing. And in that course, you know, this is fun, Emily, we have, um, we have two Olympians that coach you medalists that coach you along the way and two sports psychs that coach you along the way to to get in there and put a dull stick on your back and say hey you said you paid the money you signed up let's go do the work how can i help you you know like so it's that part's really cool all right so last little bit here you have an opportunity right now to offer let's go back to high school let's go back to the guy that used to be in a place where he would see that big wave in competition and not know what the hell to do, how to perform. You have an opportunity right now, looking back on that guy to give him one piece of advice going through those hurdle moments. What do you tell him? Oh, that's cool. If I go big picture for a minute and then I'll drop into the wave thing. Big picture is like, um, nice job, dude. Keep going. You know, like it, it, keep going. You know, and so I, I, I've made mistakes. I've had unfortunate things that have happened to me, things that I've created, co-created, you know, all of it and all of the scar tissue and the, um, the pain that I've experienced, um, it has come around for gratitude. 
So I'm okay with all of the mistakes that, you know, and so I'd say, keep going. And so that's the life thing. And then the, the wave thing is like, um, who gives a shit what they think? Be true to yourself, dude. You know, paddle in, push hard, pop and go like be absorbed in what you're doing and stop caring so much about what they think. And so that, that would be the best kind of gem I do. It would have been nice to learn that earlier, but I probably needed to have that internal scratchiness for so long to get to the truth of it. So grateful for your time today. I am sitting here like I'll probably be sitting here for another 30 minutes digesting all of this. And I, I'm sure the hurdlers will probably feel the, the same way. Uh, Dr. Gervais, how do the hurdlers keep up with you? How can they follow along with you? Uh, give me all the details. Can I be a hurdler too? I love it. Yeah, please be, be a hurdler. Invite the squad. Yeah, that is so good. Um, that, uh, social is fun. And so I'm enjoying it. Uh, at Michael Gervais. And that's G-E-R-V-A-I-S. Uh, it's on Insta, LinkedIn, um, Twitter. And then Finding Mastery is the podcast. And so that has been a, a great way to, you know, we're, we're building out some a membership model. So there's deeper engagement there. So Finding Mastery is the podcast. And then you can, uh, we actually wrote a book. And so if people want to check out the book, but I would say the course is kind of, if you really want to invest in what you're doing, uh, the course is the best way to go. But the, the website is findingmastery.net. Name of the book? Compete to Create. And the idea is like, you got to work your ass off to create a living masterpiece. And so we will show you how to work your ass off, but it's really about recovery and internal wellness. Thank you so much for your time today. I Again, I appreciate it so, so, so much. Awesome. Thank you. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>